Uh, hey, this is CJ from Jeb Bush for President.com. And who the heck is this Dollar Hyde guy? Dollar Moore. Sorry, did I say Dollar Hyde? The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right. Welcome to the show. And thank you for joining us on this 218th installment of I Doubt It with Dollamore. Your home. For news and ridiculous comment, I am Jesse Dollamore, your host, and sitting across from me, Brittany Page. News. <laughs> Since I couldn't do it before you addressed my presence here. You must remain silent. Mm-hmm. Un- until spoken to. Until spoken of. Yes. <laughs> More precise. So we are back. We are. Your stress levels have... Re- reduced yes, and kind very of much. they've plateaued, leveled, mm-hmm. maybe gone back down to normal mm-hmm. baseline pre finals week, pre um, thesis proposal levels. Yes, yeah. How As, did all that go? It went well. I passed my thesis proposal, which means I can now move on, move forward, and start with my data collection. Yeah. Well, after I get IRB approval and all that. Um, And it was funny because as soon as I walked out of the school. (laughs) This actually is very funny. Like the moment I walked out of the school and I didn't have any more work. Everything was finally over. I had my approval. My neck immediately started hurting. (laughs) My back started hurting. And then one of my eyes started tearing up so bad that tears were just going down my cheeks. You weren't crying. No, I wasn't crying. My eye was just like freaking out. My body could finally fall apart. Yeah, it was like all of the the little... The little repairs here and the band-aids there that kind of held it all together. Yeah. F- finally just gave it up and said, fuck this. We're done now. <laughs> yeah. And you started falling apart. Exactly. And I couldn't touch my eye because I had been like touching doorknobs and stuff all day. <laughs> so I had to wait until I had some sort of Kleenex. Right. It was bad. Terrible. Yeah. And then, l- let me ask you this. <laughs> um, how's uh, how's your laptop doing? <laughs> My you, laptop. You knew we were going to get into this. Yeah, my laptop's. It's just fine. It's just fine. I know you're going to try to make a big deal out of what happened, but it's perfectly fine. No, it was a big <laughs> deal. What happened? <laughs> yeah, it was a big deal. For the me. other day, Brittany is sitting at her usual spot in in the living room, mm-hmm. and out of nowhere, we're just watching CNN or whatever's on. Uh huh. You don't have to respond. You were there. You know what happened. <laughs> and I hear, and I can't, I cannot stress this enough, a blood-curdling scream. No. What, which was followed by Brittany's laptop being thrown <laughs> across the room. Oh. To which, I mean, I know with the tone of the scream, I know what it was without even getting up. It was a spider <laughs> was sharing Brittany's general area. It was sharing the couch with me. Anyway, and Brittany, and I'm not fucking around here. Brittany screamed bloody murder and launched her laptop <laughs> launched. across the room. Yeah, I threw it because I was I had to get out of there. So I couldn't have something <laughs> weighing me down. And the laptop was on my lap. So I had to get rid of it in order to run from the spider. Unbelievable. Which I think the spider was also running from me. We were both desperately trying to escape the situation. Why? I thought the spider are their maniac killers. Why would he be running from you? Well, I think it was delirious because I had sat on him mm-hmm. and he crawled out from under me and it was just horrific. And then Brittany, of course, being, you know, tough lady, <laughs> she went over there and dispensed with the spider immediately. No, I was... Yeah, of course, no. I, was... I had to go over there and kill this poor innocent spider. It's not innocent. Who had done nothing to anyone. Oh, please. He's just there trying to cop a meal, catch some fly. Exactly. No, or some... trying to chomp on me is what it was trying to do. 
it was a rather large spider. I will say that. Uh huh. But it's just like the other day when you saw one over by the closet. It, that was the same day. Two spiders in one day. I think you're misremembering. No. Anyway. It was traumatic, Brittany's, but I remember. Brittany's opposition with nature continues. Well, let's talk about what you said to me after this happened, okay? You said... I don't even remember. <laughs> you said... It was probably something really, really nice. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> you said... One of these days, I'm going to be screaming because I'm being raped. Yeah. And you're not going to come help because you're going to think I'm just screaming about a spider. Right. You're crying wolf. Hateful. You're hateful. You're crying wolf. I'm screaming because I'm in danger. You're not in danger. It's a goddamn spider. Okay. And this, this, the second spider that you're talking about was crawling right toward my boots, trying to go live in them. Even, listen, even when there's moths that fly around you, flutter around your head. <laughs> You freak out. Yeah, I don't know what they're up to. Like they're trained fucking assassins <laughs> or something. You don't know. You're just always at odds with nature. Mm-hmm. Constantly. Yeah. Even if nature's not at odds with you. Anyway. You need to get this shit in check because it's it's starting to put a damper on my quality of life. Yeah, we do need to get the spider situation in check. I There's agree. There's no spider situation. Yes, there is. There's too many. Every once in a while, you see a spider. Yeah, and I hate that anxiety that comes because I haven't seen one for a while. <laughs> and and I start telling myself, I haven't seen one in like a month. I know it's just going to pop out at me at any moment. And then it does. And it's horrific. Uh, anyway. Yeah. All right. Let's let's uh, let's move on. <laughs> Please. This spider this is dedicated episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. <laughs> if you'd like to sound off about this particular unwieldy topic or any other... That is our number. You can also email a voice memo from your smartphone. I almost flubbed the word there. A voice memo. You can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Also, you know what? If you're thinking of emailing and talking about the necessity of spiders, just don't. Okay? (laughs) Nobody cares. Right. Don't defend the elevator farters. (laughs) <laughs> and don't defend fierce Britney chomping spiders. Yes. All right. Well, let's get to a little follow-up before we move on with the rest of the program. Uh, we've talked in the past about that money that Donald Trump had supposedly raised for veterans organizations. I think two, I think two, maybe three million of which has only been allocated. Well, it came out this week that Corey Lewandowski Champion of women. Yeah, the honorable Corey Lewandowski came out with a statement that surprised some, uh, none of whom are sitting in this room right now. Trump campaign manager Corey Lewandowski told CNN on Friday that Donald Trump did not actually raise $6 million when he skipped a GOP primary debate to hold a fundraiser for veterans. Lewandowski said he did not know the exact number but that it was not as much as previously stated because not as much as had been pledged was donated. When are these blindly loyal Donald Trump people, when is that faith going to be shaken? Right. How many suspicious things have to occur before people start thinking, uh, what is he up to? Everything he does seems a little shady. Yeah, or it's just not true at all. Yeah. It is... It baffles me. I really try to look at things with with an open mind. Hillary Clinton, she's got a lot of problems. Bernie Sanders, he's got his problems too. Uh, John Kasich, when I didn't really throw my support behind him, but he was, if if I had a guy in the a dog in the fight, it was him. He had problems too. There is no perfect candidate, and it's just weird for for me that. After every single controversy that has raised its head surrounding Donald Trump, his supporters run to the microphones to say why it's not really a problem. Right. Rather than just say, yeah, fuck, I don't know. Dumb, but he's still the right guy. Right. Well, it's that blind loyalty. Which is problematic. Very problematic. All right. Next on the follow-up is... And this is going to end up being a running theme that we're going to be talking about this, I would assume, for the next several months. But these trans bathroom 
policies and laws and paranoia that is sweeping the nation apparently has manifested itself in the way of an outraged, uh, this is what's written here, outraged slash fearful shopper in a dressing room. Yes, a Texas woman is speaking out after encountering a man in a department store's women's dressing room. Lisa Sickles told CBS Dallas that she quickly alerted a Ross store employee, but was told that the man was, quote, representing himself as a woman today. But Sickles said the man was in no way dressed as a woman. Quote, he had on jeans, a T-shirt, five o'clock shadow, very deep voice. He was a man, she said. Sickles was told that if she was uncomfortable, she would have to wait until the man was finished. According to the report, a Ross customer service representative said customers may use the dressing room that applies to their gender identity. The incident comes after Target, of course, triggered a boycott by announcing that shoppers at its stores could use the bathrooms and dressing rooms that match their gender identity. <laughs> Are, is this, I mean, what I think that we don't have all the details here, so we don't know if this guy's just being a rabble rouser, being an asshole. Well, we don't know if this woman is even being honest. Right, we, we don't know any of the details. But here's, 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 the, here's the deal. The question that, that I have is... And you, you tell me, you've been in more dressing rooms than me. I'm, you know, if I go buy a pair of jeans or something, I just know my size, I get them, and then, you know, I fucking deal with the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Are dressing rooms so, are they just open or aren't, they're closed, right? Every dressing room I've ever been in has been, yeah, your own individual So the changing stall. area is not just like an open floor plan where it's just a bunch of people here go pick a corner and get naked in it right it's not like a locker room yeah right it's it's so what's, closed off. what's there to be fearful of a very paranoid and oh my god there's a man i was in a starbucks the other day and i'm looking down the hallway at the bathroom and obviously the men's is being it's it's occupado Brittany, mm-hmm. and it had been for some time yeah someone was in there ruining that bathroom. A little after, bit of a tum time. After drinking lots of Starbucks coffee. And I saw several dudes. They go, they check the door, and then <laughs> they're like, oh, that's being used. So, oh, there's a women's bathroom. And, and I'm having a tum time. Yeah, it looks like it's open. <laughs> and it, they're just one seaters. So, yeah. what's the problem? A dressing room, it's a one seater, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. It's not a mult, it's not a group deal. Well, you know, I was at Franklin Barbecue one time. <laughs> And I can't believe we haven't told this story already. And I was I was very ill. Um, you, you aren't just you were it was the day after Valentine's Day and you were presenting research at uh, SPSP. Is that what it's called? In, yes. In Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you were sick, sicker than I've ever seen you. Yeah, I vomited every day of my trip, inc- was... including the morning of going to Franklin Barbecue. But I was determined to put down pounds of meat. Right. So I went there anyway, despite being sick. And I was waiting in no line. No jokes will be made either. No, I was waiting in line for the bathroom. <laughs> and Because the... it was coming out of both ends, from what I remember. No. A little bit of puking and probably lots of... This is no lots of pooping. No, that's no. <laughs> so anyway, and I was waiting in line for the bathroom. The women's bathroom was busy. So someone said, hey, just go ahead and use the, the men's room. So I went in there and then I come out and who's waiting in line to go in the men's bathroom. He wasn't just waiting in line. He was next in line waiting to go in. Yeah. Aaron Franklin. Right. The the world famous owner of Franklin Barbecue, and he looked at you kind of quizzically. Yeah, he was, you know, he kind of gave me a confused look and said, <laughs> uh, hi. And I said, oh, yeah, they told me I could go in there. And then it's he, yours now. <laughs> and, then, and then he went right in and crop dusted himself. No, went no. Went right into the fog of Brittany Page. No. Nope. Much like you on that elevator, probably. To this day, he probably tells a story. <laughs> and he goes, you know, I was in my restaurant one day. You know what? And... Like any other day, you'd think, day after Valentine's Day, and, <laughs> and I walked, I was going to go in my, my bathroom in my restaurant, and this tall drink of water, this, this 5'10", very pretty blonde, okay. came walking out of the men's room. I was so, I was kind of weirded out by it, but you know, I figured, oh, whatever. And then I walked in there, and oh. holy shit, she had ruined that place. <laughs> That, he probably tells this is a story he's told You're several so times. so hateful. It's, it's like a party amazing. story for Aaron Franklin now. <laughs> <laughs>
Anyway, back to the dressing room situation. <laughs> as quickly as you can. Yeah, I'm confused by the outrage because really, what does it matter if someone's in a separate dressing room? Right. Even next to you. I mean, if if you catch them looking over or, you know, under skirting that's camera, that's, that's, that's illegal. That's already illegal. So what's what's the issue? If they're not walking around with their equipment flapping around... Who what? cares? They're just in a dressing room trying on their stupid, cheap, bullshit Ross clothes. That's the other thing. Does Ross really have separate dressing rooms? I thought in those kinds of stores that, that it's all together. Yeah, just like first come, first serve yeah. kind of a deal, I think right? I've been in a Ross where it's just been like all together. The, the dressing rooms are the dressing rooms. It's not separate. I don't know. I don't know. Clearly, it was enough to alarm this lady, though. But I wonder how many of these stories, because I keep seeing them, and I wonder how many of them are true. So every time I read one, I just think, oh, I wonder how true this right. is. Right, it's like the opposite situation of the gay pastor who who claimed that the Whole Austin Whole Foods right. had written fag on his cake when yeah. he was just a fucking liar. Yeah. And which, by the way, I guess this could be another piece of follow-up. I don't think we ever followed up on that. He dropped his lawsuit, mm-hmm. and then uh, Whole Foods dropped their countersuit because he was bull—he was just a liar. He was bullshit and just trying to to make a name for himself and cause problems. Really unfortunate. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, next up, this is there's a guy named Larry Taunton out there, and he has written a book called "The Faith of Christopher Hitchens." What? Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what I said too. Well. He is doing the media circuit right now. Well, should we say who Christopher Hitchens is for people, for strange people who don't know? Yeah, absolutely. So he is one of the four horsemen of atheism. She did air quotes, but just didn't tell you she did air quotes. I also said horsemen weird. (laughs) Get Um, with the program here. Yeah, okay. He's You know that we do a podcast twice a week. Yeah, he is a famous atheist. Was. He was. He passed away, I think, four years ago now. That's right. And he... I guess five. 2011. Right. December 2011. Right. But not just an atheist, um, a fantastic journalist, essayist, writer. Brilliant writer. Um, He's just a a brilliant person, period. So uh, there's this guy named Larry Taunton, who's a pastor, an evangelical. And he wrote a book called The Faith of Christopher Hitchens. And he's making the rounds right now, trying to hawk his book. And he's being received rather coldly... In several of these interviews, because he's he's postulating that in toward in the end of, of Christopher Hitchens' life, he was contemplating some kind of conversion, which really does fly in the face of his ethos throughout his life. Here's a clip from Newsnight, which is a BBC show in Great Britain, and uh, well, I'll, I'll let it speak for itself. Uh, Mr. Taunton, even the most cursory reading of Christopher Hitchens' work establishes a man who didn't believe he had a soul. How could it possibly have been restless? The title makes very clear. Um, what I'm getting at with this is not that he had faith in God, but rather that, I, in fact, the title makes clear that I think the man was an atheist, but rather I'm asking the question, what was Christopher's faith in? You see, the, uh, if Christopher's a lock... Uh, the tumblers don't line up with the, with, the, uh, with the atheist key. They don't line up with the God key either, but Christopher was defined by a lot more than his atheism. It, well, of course he was, but, but I'll, I'll ask the same question again, if I may. How, how can a man who didn't believe he had a soul have had a restless soul? Well, actually, in a debate with Christopher, he did speak of a soul, and I made sure to point this out. What did he say? Uh, He said that Christianity continued to inflict crimes against the body and the soul. And I pointed out that uh, from an atheist point of view, uh, there is no soul. But but Christians would believe that there was. I I, I don't think trying to unpick the workings of Christopher Hitchens' brain is is within the remit of either of us. It's a a deliberately provocative title, isn't it? You're attempting to take a man who is famous throughout the world for his (laughs) robust approach to atheism and his championing of it, and you're, you're possibly attempting to flog a few books off the back of it? Uh, You know, that's just simply not true, James. And it's clear from your question that you haven't read the book. The book is a story about friendship. Um, It's a story about friendship between two men of very different worldviews. Here I am, an evangelical Christian, and Christopher Hitchens, a uh, Molotov cocktail-tossing atheist on stage, and yet the two of us could enjoy a very warm friendship that culminated in 
two lengthy road trips, one from his home in D.C. to mine in Birmingham, Alabama, and the other through uh, Yellowstone National Park, where we studied the Gospel of John together. You read a book together. His friends say you hardly knew him. Well, uh, his friends uh, clearly don't know the truth of it. I mean, I don't know how many friends Christopher took 13-hour car trips with, but um, Christopher did did, did two lengthy road trips with me and spoke very warmly publicly of our friendship. I mean, this is on film, James. I mean, I'm not inventing anything here. You you bring his atheism into question. You, you, You posit the notion of contemplating Christianity, and your evidence is the number of hours you spent together in a car. No, uh, that's, that's not the evidence, James. Um, the evidence is a great deal more than that. And in fact, I, I think you're, you're deliberately mischaracterizing the book. Rather, what I say in the book is that Christopher was contemplating making a number of, if I may put it this way, edits to his life late in his life. Exactly what he would convert to isn't clear. Christopher spoke of uh, Protestant atheism, which was something that he, that he found uh, attractive. He, uh, would he have uh, converted to a deism, what, what exa- to Judaism? He was deeply affected uh, by the discovery late in life that uh, he was Jewish on his mother's side. I mean, it's not very clear exactly what kind of change Christopher would make, but after 2001, Christopher made a very serious uh, a defection from the left politically, and and uh, and, and I'm simply he suggesting in this that, book that this is record. a man who is a but he f- was a finally, man of a great deal briefly, a great deal more complex than you would suggest. Of course, how long before his death did you last see him? I saw him uh, 14 months before his death, okay. and that's uh, that's actually very important because. Uh, the suggestion that I am claiming some sort of deathbed conversion uh, is absurd because, first of all, the book isn't about that, and secondly, I wasn't there. No, no, no one has suggested that it was. It, it was merely the, the, the tone of your intimacy that I was seeking to establish. So... That guy was taking care of biz. Yeah, well, it's also that really dry, almost smug kind of British affectation where he's mm-hmm. like yeah i wasn't asking that i was just going to the to the intimacy of your relationship uh, uh-huh. just kind of a fuck you without saying it very passive aggressive <laughs> well next up he gets on in, on the same panel although they do not speak to one another famed i think theoretical physicist but he's a, he's a cosmologist and physicist lawrence krauss who's also an outspoken atheist and i would say pseudo philosopher and he takes to task larry taunton because lawrence krauss actually was friends with christopher hitchens and he he lays down the law um we're joined now by lawrence krauss uh, an atheist himself and a close friend of christopher hitchens Um, He refused to discuss directly with Larry Taunton the contents of this book. Um, So I'll begin by asking you, Lawrence, if I may, why your feelings run so high on this issue and and whether you have been mollified in any way by what you just heard. Oh, absolutely not. I was impressed with your interview. But no, this is a man man who was clearly trying to use Christopher Hitchens to take a relatively unknown individual and and make money off Christopher's name. And I wasn't going to help participate in that by having a conversation with someone I clearly didn't think was worthy of having a conversation with. Is it, is it, is it not possible that he was sort of, sort of auditing some of his personal beliefs in, in the last couple of years of his life? <laughs> well, for, first thing, let's talk about the friendship thing, because I just had a conversation with Carol, uh, Christopher's widow, about this once again, and she confirmed once again. So the time they spent together, Christopher was paid to spend time with him. I have to say that none of us friends that I know of paid Christopher uh, to spend time with him. I think that's the difference between a real friend and a paid associate. He, Christopher was being paid to go have a debate with this gentleman. Now, the other thing is that Christopher was incredibly, in spite of the fact that he was seen as a bulldog on stage, in private he was incredibly civil with individuals and could be have wonderful, polite conversations with people he desperately disagreed with. I know Anton Scalia, Justice Scalia, used to be a, a visitor to Christopher's house. So the fact that this person is uh, confusing civility with intellectual sympathy means he just didn't know Christopher at all. M- may I ask what his widow thinks about the book? She's disgusted by it and thinks it's exactly what you said it was, an opportunity for someone to try and 
ride the coattails of Christopher's name. The, the, there's so many things that are ridiculous about the notion. The, first of all, atheism isn't a belief system like Christianity. It's a recognition that you don't accept the existence of God without evidence. And as Christopher would have said, you know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And the extraordinary claim that after 13.8 billion years, God, would, some deity, would, would wait on this planet for hominids to develop for millions of years and suffer and strife and then decide to reveal himself to uh, illiterate uh, uh, Iron Age peasants is just so ridiculous that it would require extraordinary evidence. And moreover, the, the idea, if, if you were converting, what would you convert into? There are a thousand religions, and certainly Christianity was not one of Christopher's favorites. He, he, was, he said the, the New Testament was more evil than the Old, and in particular, as, as Richard Dawkins there and I pointed out, that no one talks more about hell than Jesus. And, and Christopher referred to that kind of deity as a Saddam Hussein in the sky, who didn't mind just torturing individuals during their lifetime, but for all eternity, if they disagreed with them. That kind of individual, would, the, the notion that they would be sympathetic to that kind of silliness is, is, is just uh, ridiculous. Lawrence Krauss, many thanks indeed. Awesome. And Lawrence Krauss, he did a good job there of kind of wrapping it up, although he didn't answer the very question that was asked. The interviewer asked about, do you think that Christopher was maybe auditing his beliefs in the later months of his, la- of his life, mm-hmm. in the last months of his life, and... He didn't answer. He really wanted to get to the fact that he wasn't friends with this guy, that he had been paid to travel the country. Well, we don't have to to wait for an answer from Lawrence Krauss or other people who knew him because we have voluminous hours and hours of Christopher Hitchens speaking even while he was sick. This is from a panel discussion when the question was asked about deathbed conversions Keeping in mind that if you watch this video, Christopher's clearly in the throes of chemotherapy. His hair is almost non-existent and he is sick. His voice is weak. And he had this to say about the matter. It, it occurs to me as you're both talking that both of you have faced serious illness in your lives. And I'm wondering if that at all has shaped your view of the afterlife. Christopher? Um, I would say it fractionally increases my contempt for the false consolation element of religion and my dislike for the dictatorial and totalitarian part of it. But I presume what I say by the first is self-evident. But what I mean by the second is it's considered perfectly normal in this society to approach dying people who you don't know but who are unbelievers and say, now are you going to change your mind? It's, in fact, it's considered almost a polite question. <laughs> um, and it used, as you know, there's a long history of fraud about this. People claim that Darwin had a deathbed recantation. They'd made up lies about Thomas Paine. It goes on all the time. It's a very nasty little history. But it, it, there's also a horrible undertone of blackmail to it. People write and say, look, you've got, you've got about one chance left now. Aren't you going to take it? I'm writing to you as a friend. <laughs> as it, they've even tried on me when I've been very ill and not, I haven't had quite the vinegar I'd like to have had in, in, my, in a hospital bed. I don't mind. I can take it. But I think there are a lot of people older than myself, iller than myself, perhaps at the risk of seeming conceited, less educated than myself, to whom that's a horrible experience. It's, ve- it, it's very depressing and alarming to be spoken to in that way. I mean, if Sam and I were to form a core of people to go around religious hospitals, which is what happens in reverse, and say to people who are lying in pain, say, did you say you were Catholic? Yes. Well, look, you may only have a few days left, but you don't have to live them as a serf, you know. <laughs> Just recognize that that was all bullshit, that the priests, <laughs> the priests have been cheating you. And I guarantee you'll feel better. I don't think that would be very ethical. Okay, but... I think it would be something of a breach of taste. But, but if it's in the name of... <laughs> if it's in the name of God, it has a social license. Well, fuck that, is what I say. <laughs> <clears throat> and 
and will say if it's my last breath. Thank you. <laughs> so that's a beautiful point and perfect, really. I mean, yeah. Have you ever heard that point illustrated like that before? Well, nothing ever said has been said the way that Christopher Hitchens says it because mm-hmm. it's awesome. Mm-hmm. But see, that is in the last, in the later months of his life. Mm-hmm. And that was just kind of generally about deathbed confessions. Right. Up next is an interview, a very short portion of an interview with Anderson Cooper, where he asks Christopher Hitchens directly about his own possibility of a deathbed con- conversion. And this is his answer. In a moment of doubt, isn't there, I don't know, I, I, find, I just find it fascinating that even when you're alone and, you know, no one else is watching, that there might be a moment where you, you know, want to hedge your bets. If that comes, it'll be when I'm very ill. Um, when I'm half demented, either by drugs or by pain, I won't have control over what I say. I mentioned this in case you ever hear a rumor later on. <laughs> Um, because these things happen and the faithful love to spread these rumors you know on his deathbed he finally well I can't say that the entity that by then wouldn't be me wouldn't do such a pathetic thing but I can tell you that not while I'm lucid no I could be quite sure of that so if there is some story that on your deathbed don't believe it don't believe it don't credit it no don't believe it there you go so if it's not going to happen on his deathbed, do you think it's going to be happening while driving through Yellowstone National Park with this evangelical pastor? Mm-hmm. Clearly, the guy's trying to profit off the coattails and the fame of Christopher Hitchens by making a ridiculous, salacious assertion about some possible conversion to even at the very least to being a deist by Christopher Hitchens. Now, that doesn't seem to be something that a moral person would do. Right. (laughs) Goddamn. Support for I Doubt It with Dolomore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like. Comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. All right, let's get to the meat and or potatoes that we've missed over the course of the last few days. Dolomocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Well, it appears as though Bernie Sanders' days are numbered. It also seems as though the the fervor and anger of his supporters has really just begun. We're leading up to the California primary on June 7th which today, actually, Sunday, the 22nd, Bernie Sanders was in San Diego, suburb of San Diego, outline area, and then also here in Irvine, California, near where we live here. And there is a lot of fury surrounding these last few weeks, a lot of conspiracy theories, and I'm seeing a lot online of diehard Bernie Sanders supporters who are vowing to not get behind Hillary Clinton when she inevitably becomes the nominee. And I just I just think that is that is I want to I want to be nice and say it's in poor taste. But if it leads to a Donald Trump presidency, and you're one of those people, think about what you might be ushering in. Think about the people you claim to care about. Well, that's what's been confusing to me is I keep seeing people saying, you know, maybe things shouldn't. Maybe things should just implode. 
maybe yeah. this is what should ha- should happen. And these are the same people who support Bernie because of his positions about equality and advocating for those who are disadvantaged, particularly the poor and those in poverty. Yeah. And who is going to suffer the most if things really turn upside down, if things implode? That's right. If everything goes south. It's not going to be the rich. It's yeah. not going to be the wealthy. Right. Who's going to be suffering? It's going to be those with a lower, a far lower socioeconomic status in our in our world. They are going to be hit the hardest mm-hmm. if things go crazy under a Donald Trump presidency. Right. And Sarah Silverman, who has been a huge advocate for Bernie Sanders, uh, posted the other day, two great choices. One speaks to me. One inspires me. The primaries are to vote your heart and conscience. Then we'll all vote for the nominee in November. And I thought this was pretty profound coming from Sarah Silverman because she has been a diehard supporter of Bernie. Yeah, there hasn't been a more vocal supporter of Bernie Sanders in the primaries. And posting that got her a lot of hate. Yeah. And people were very angry and upset. And it's very strange to me the the um, hate that is conjured and the hostility that is expressed simply because people don't want Donald Trump to be president. It has created a, a, a far more in-group, out-group kind of environment than I ever suspected. Right. Obviously, Bernie Sanders is the far more liberal, progressive... Of the two Democratic candidates, for sure. I mean, Hillary Clinton, let's just be honest, she's she's more Republican light than she is a Bernie Sanders flavor uh, of liberal. Mm-hmm. But the, if your choice is between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, for my money, you got to choose Hillary Clinton. It, this isn't like Barack Obama and Mitt Romney, where, you know, they're both relatively capable guys neither one would be dangerous for our republic when when the choice is donald trump and hillary clinton one is clearly the wrong choice the dangerous choice and you gotta go with hillary for the sake of those who are disadvantaged and underrepresented by our government So can I read something that Sam Harris wrote? Yeah, sure. Okay, so he posted this... Another very well-known atheist, Sam Harris. He posted an article from The New Yorker called The Dangerous Acceptance of Donald Trump. And he wrote, I suspect the author has exaggerated the dangers of a Trump presidency in this piece. But I can't say that for sure. And neither can you. And that's the point. The fact that you're not sure how much damage Trump could cause is reason enough to resist his ambitions at any cost to your political idealism. I don't care how much you hate Clinton or love Sanders. The fact that this author's fears about Trump aren't obviously unwarranted warranted and would be if applied to Clinton is what everyone needs to absorb. No, Clinton won't change the system. Yes, she's a fount of euphemism and lies on the topic of Islam, but she's not a lunatic or an ignoramus. She's smart, knowledgeable, and almost perfectly predictable. Given the choices, that's the best we can hope for now. Very well written. Very well stated. Very thoughtful. Of course, from Sam Harris, I wouldn't expect anything less. And that sums up how I feel about it. That sums up how I hope you feel about it, audience. That don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's not set this fucking thing on fire because your guy didn't get the nomination. Well, and if you're claiming to to care about the positions that Sanders holds about those who are disadvantaged, then... Setting things on fire is inconsistent. Right. So I don't really understand that. Right. If you believe that Bernie Sanders is going to not vote or vote for Donald Trump, you're you're not thinking clearly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, before we move on to some Donald Trump stuff, uh, there is some news on the superdelegate front that isn't exactly good. For Bernie Sanders. 
So Bernie Sanders is trying to persuade Democratic Party superdelegates backing Hillary Clinton to flip their allegiance as a last-ditch bid for the nomination. But one Sanders supporter is going the other way. Emmett Hansen, the Democratic National Committee man for uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands, decided to shift his support to Clinton after a weekend briefing on her plans for U.S. territories that followed months of dissatisfaction with Sanders' lack of concrete positions. That's not good. I mean, it, that's just the exodus of one, and I believe he only had like 41. How many did he have? Did you already say? 39. Well, he has 39 now. So. so maybe he had 40 and now he has 39. Yeah. So he didn't have a great deal as it was. And look, I'm no fan of the democratic process relative to superdelegates. I don't think it's democratic. Don't feign like you're going to leave it up to the people when the deciding number here is getting decided by superdelegates. Right. It's not, it's not good. It's not democratic. Mm-hmm. But it's not good for Bernie Sanders. It does. It's... It might only be one vote, but it's one vote that that's going the other way, and it could be a sign of things to come over the next few weeks. Um, kind of a bummer, and we'll see what happens with that. So on to Donald Trump. He sat down with Sean Hannity. He, here's the 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 wonder of Donald Trump. Well, I tell you what, let's just play the talk with Sean Hannity on that deplorable Fox News show where they're talking about Bill Clinton and the different nefarious allegations against the former president and how, I guess, Hillary should answer for those. I don't really get it. But Donald Trump takes it to a level that I don't even think Hannity was really ready for. This will, the, the Clintons are oh, known know. for being very dirty. But the good thing about this, this sets the table. You know, this sort of sets the stage. People have seen this. People have seen uh, Kerry. They've seen Rowan. They've seen others now that are coming forward that were mentioned in that story, which frankly wasn't even that bad, if you want to know the truth. It's not like I, I hope that people was, that haven't read it. was it, 20 pages printed. No, no, but I mean, yeah. in one case, I don't know, it's like minor stuff. I said to one of the women, I said, um... Don't eat. You shouldn't have a piece of candy. Okay, that was. <laughs> I tell my kids. How do you that compare that against Clinton? Okay, yeah. what Clinton's done. What about what Clinton's done? How big an issue should that be in the campaign? For example, I, I looked at the New York Times. Are they going to interview Juanita Broderick? Are they going to interview Paula Jones? Are they going to interview Kathleen Willey? In one case, it's about exposure, and in another case, it's about groping and fondling and touching against a woman's will. And rape. And rape. Should and that- big settlements. Massive settlements. $850,000 for and Paula Jones. lots of other things. And impeachment for lying. Smearing, yeah. besmirchment and of women. losing your law license. You know, he lost his law license, okay? Uh, couldn't practice law. And you don't read about this on Clinton. Let me now, ask you. Now, the New York Times, and if you look at Stephanopoulos, uh, these are like the pipe organs for Hillary Clinton. Stephanopoulos, I get on a show the other day, it started, I, I couldn't believe it, and I actually said to him, look, obviously, you're representing your, you know, previous, he, he gave a lot of money to the foundation, he did a lot of, he never told anybody, never told anybody, but you look at some of the people, the dishonesty, I'll tell you what, I'm in a pretty tough business, real estate, I meet some tough people, but I have never seen lies and deception like I see in, not only with the people, not only with the politicians, but when you're in politics, it is a deceiving it's really a pretty rough profession. And I will say this, the political press, worse than anything else, is the political I've got press to take to a dishonesty. Break. Exit question, would you consider suing them? Well, they're talking to us right now, so we'll see what happens. All but right, we'll they know. They, they, I think the Times actually, look, they got caught in a very bad situation. When we come back, we'll continue from Trump Tower and the Trump war room, political war room. It's Hannity on the road, Donald Trump for the full hour. We'll continue. We'll talk about Hillary Clinton when we come back. Uh, the balls on these two assholes. Why is Bill Clinton's behavior relevant to Hillary Clinton's presidency? I don't know. And look, I'm not going to stand up here and and take up for Bill Clinton. I think he is a predator. I think he is a terrible man who victimizes women, who has used his position of power to abuse women. I think he's not a good guy. But for... For Sean Hannity to sit there like a lapdog, 
with loving goo goo eyes looking at Donald Trump talking about Bill Clinton smearing and besmirching women looking at Donald Trump who has done the exact same thing. Right. And that's only the, the, the verbal side of things and how he treats women. Donald Trump isn't immune from allegations such as rape. Back in July, if you remember, his lawyer made all kinds of weird comments after a story surfaced from 1999, if you remember this. Is it legal to rape your spouse? Well, according to one of Donald Trump's lawyers, yes. Michael Cohen made the outrageous remark while defending Trump from a decades-old allegation that he once forced himself upon his then-wife, Ivana. In an interview with the Daily Beast, Cohen said Trump never raped anybody, insisting that you cannot rape your spouse. And there's very clear case law. This comes after the Daily Beast reporters were asking Cohen about an allegation in which Ivana Trump once used the word rape in the 1993 book, The Last Tycoon, The Many Lives of Donald J. Trump, where she admitted there had been an ugly night between her and her husband. So in the interview, Cohen said he had read the relevant pages and said the word rape was used in a misleading way. And Ivana said she referred to the incident as a rape, but she does not want her words to be interpreted in a literal or criminal sense. I just don't even know. Right. I mean, neither one of these gentlemen have heard the the phrase of not throwing stones when you live in a fucking glass house. And if you live in a rape house, you certainly don't want to start throwing stones. (laughs) Donald Trump has done so many terrible things. For for him to go on some sort of character assassination of, of another person is... Ridiculous. Especially someone who's not even the candidate. Yeah. I mean, why don't you evaluate yourself? Yeah. Take some time and look inward rather than worrying about what other people (laughs) who aren't even your opponents. Right. It's not even Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Speaking of Hillary Clinton. Got hot sauce in my bag. Swag. She she spoke recently at a, a fundraiser or some kind of... She was given a policy speech on guns at the Trayvon Martin, I want to say, foundation. And she made some allegations about Donald Trump relative to guns in the classroom. Here's a little bit of that. Donald Trump said that in his very first hour as president, heaven forbid, he would overturn President Obama's actions to strengthen background checks. He said that also on his first day in office, he'd mandate that every school in America allow guns in classrooms. Every school, he said, that's no way to keep us safe. If you want to imagine what Trump's America will look like. Picture more kids at risk of violence and bigotry. Picture more anger and fear. Well, he was on his usual. He gets like 10 or 12 or 15 solid minutes on Fox News's Fox and Friends like every goddamn day he's on. It's... (laughs) It is bizarre how much adulation they're showing Donald Trump. But he was on, and they asked about this particular speech and the comments that she made, and he gave about the most quintessential Trump-esque answer that could be given. Those are harsh words. She says, Trump's America will look picture more kids at risk with violence and bigotry. What do you say to that? Well, first of all, they're just words. Uh, she reads off a teleprompter. You notice she's reading off a teleprompter. She always does. Uh, she really doesn't have her own words. And uh, she talked about guns in classrooms. I don't want to have guns in classrooms, although in some cases teachers should have guns in classrooms, frankly, because teachers are, you know, things that are going on in our schools are unbelievable. You look at some of our schools, unbelievable what's going on. But I'm not advocating guns in classroom. But remember, in some cases, and a lot of people have made this case, <laughs> teachers should be able to have guns. Trained teachers should be able to have guns in classrooms. Trained teachers should be teaching in classrooms. That's what trained teachers should be doing. What in the hell just happened? I, I have no idea. In, in, in the course of 24 seconds, he gave two completely diametrically opposed positions but he did it twice. 
So it's almost like four different possessions. Let's one more time. If you didn't catch it, he says, I don't I do not support guns in the classroom. However, some teachers should have guns in the classroom. I don't want to have guns in classrooms, although in some cases teachers should have guns in classrooms, frankly, because teachers are, you know, things that are going on in our schools are unbelievable. You look at some of our schools, unbelievable what's going on. But I'm not advocating guns in classroom. But remember, in some cases, and a lot of people have made this case, teachers should be able to have guns. Trained teachers should be able to have guns in classrooms. That's unedited audio. That's what he said live on the goddamn show. Mm-hmm. That is unbelievable. Who are these people who still remain supportive of Donald Trump? Well, who are these people that interview him and don't say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, am I high or what just happened? <laughs> well, in this case, it's the the, the idiot um, balloon head, uh, Tucker Carlson. <laughs> And that other generic dude they have there, uh-huh. it's, it's the weekend crowd. Oh, okay. So it's even less intelligent than the, the normal morning crew with Brian Kilmeade and, and Peter Ducey and that hateful maniac, uh, Ainsley Earhart. Right. Just what about this country? the majority? Okay, I'm the so major- tired of protecting the minority. It doesn't make any sense to me. It makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> All right, well, wrapping up the Donald Trump news, he also said this last week that he, he was talking to Reuters, and he said, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd sit down and talk with uh, Kim Jong-un. I would, I would speak to him. I would have no problem speaking to him. Uh, at the same time, I would put a lot of pressure on China because economically we have tremendous power over China. People don't realize that. Uh, they, are, they are extracting vast billions of dollars out of our country billions uh and we they we have tremendous power over china china can solve that problem with one meeting or one phone call well, how would they do it because they have tremendous power over north korea but they north korea has nukes i know that and so does china by the way um <laughs> but, but you said you talked to Kim. the, the one per, i would i would speak to him I, I, I have no problem with speaking to him what why to what end How are you going to send your envoy Dennis Rodman to to clear the path? Does he know nothing about Kim Jong? What would be the point of speaking to him? You can't speak to him. He's, he's out not, of his mind. He's not a rational person that you can communicate with in Absolutely. any meaningful way. Right. Nothing productive could come from having a conversation with him. They are constantly launching missiles into the air. <laughs> trying to attack everybody all right. the time. Absolutely. There's just no. It runs counter to decades and decades of foreign policy coming out of the State Department from both different from both sides of the aisle. And I love how uh nonchalant he is. Oh yeah, sure. I'll talk uh, to that murderous dictator. Yeah, no problem. Like we'll we'll have a great conversation. <laughs> we'll get all kinds of stuff sorted out. He has he has a penchant to really like the authoritarian a maniacs, Putin, Kim Jong-un, it, it, it's, it's ridiculous. It's frightening. That's actually more apt. It's it is very, very frightening. That he wants to have a conversation with Kim. No one should desire to have a, a conversation with Kim Jong-un. <laughs> right. I, I don't know. It's disgusting. Well, let us know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit.dollamore.com. All right. Let's move on. Speaking of authoritarian regimes, in Iran right now, a bunch of women who are, I'm using the term with air quotes here, Instagram models have been arrested for murder. Oh, wait. No, not for murder. Brittany, why have these ladies who posted their pictures on Instagram been arrested? Well, they were charged with, uh, quote, promoting Western promiscuity for posting pictures of themselves without their headscarf. <laughs> They're not naked photos, which even then, who fucking cares? It's just photos of their hair. Right. And one in particular, I am not going to say her name correctly, so I'm very sorry about this. Elham Arab. All right. 
famous for her blonde hair, doll-like looks, and wedding dress model shoots, is one of a string of Iranian models caught up in the sting operation, codenamed Spider 2. It is aimed at models and other figures in the fashion industry who have advertised themselves or appeared on Instagram and other social media sites. Before a hearing at the Iranian Revolutionary Court in a case brought by the Special Cyber Crimes Unit, Miss Arab was questioned on camera by the prosecutor. Wearing her headscarf and her newly colored dark hair, she no longer has her blonde hair, she said she regretted entering the fashion business in the first place, describing it as a quote-unquote mistake. Quote, I think all humans are interested in admiring beauty and becoming famous, but they must first consider at what cost and what they will lose in return. For an Iranian film star, they may not lose much, but for a model, she will certainly lose her hijab and honor. In Islam, hijab can refer both to the headscarf women wear to cover their hair and to the principle of modesty that underlies the practice. Disgusting. Again, a thousands-year-old fantasy, fairy tale, that is oppressing women worldwide. So women have also been threatened with losing their driver's licenses um, for taking to the wheel without their headscarves as well. So there can be many different consequences for um, not wearing the headscarf. For showing your hair. In what fucking fantasy world does the, the creator of the universe give a fuck about whether women wear a scarf on their head? Goddamn. So it's being reported that seven of the country's leading models had been arrested and they were charged with a variety of offenses, including spreading prostitution, promoting corruption, and promoting immoral and un-Islamic culture and promiscuity. Right. Ugh. All right. Well, let's, let's leave everybody with some upbeat, more good news. Taking care of biz. So this is going to be a good one. We love the good ones. When I open up my link. (laughs) Get it together, Brittany Page. Okay. So so this is a beautiful story about a young girl who 18 years ago, she was saved from a building fire by this firefighter. Is he a firefighter or, or police officer? I do not know. We will soon find out, though. (laughs) They're just calling him. They're just referring to him as officer. So maybe he's a police officer. And he uh, was photographed in this picture carrying her. And, you know, she is covered in soot. She doesn't look like she's doing very well. She looks unconscious. And 18 years later, they're photographed together at her graduation. Years ago, he saved her life, and last night, he watched her graduate from college. Thanks for joining us tonight at 10. I'm Audrey Kuchin. And I'm Brent Harden. Retired police detective Peter Getz and Vernon resident Josie Aponte share a special bond. Fox 61's Laura Roberts sat down with the pair tonight. She joins us now in studio with their story, and it is a great story and dramatic story. It's quite the story, Brent and Audrey. Immediately after the fire and after saving her life, Detective Getz visited Josie at the hospital and even helped fundraise for her family, but he kept his distance as she grew up until two years ago when she found him on Facebook. When Josie Aponte graduated magna cum laude from Eastern Connecticut State University on Tuesday, she had a big cheering section in the crowd at the XL Center. I was most happy when I would look up at the stands and I saw my family with the banner. Sitting with her family was an old friend, retired police detective Peter Getz. Honestly, it gave me a little bit of a chill. Without Getz, Josie would have never made it to that stage. It was very horrible that night, but here he is. He saved me. That horrible day was back in June of 1998. Josie was five years old when her home on Washington Street in Hartford caught fire. And the fire was so heavy they couldn't see. They crawled and they found Josie and her cousin. Josie's cousin died in the fire. She almost died too. This photo shows Detective Getz carrying her unconscious body from the scene. We're a block and a half from the hospital. We're not going to wait 10 minutes for a 
uh, an ambulance to get there. So Scott drove, I jumped in the back of the cruiser, did CPR on her, and when we got her to the emergency room, she was somewhat back, and the emergency room did their magic and brought her back. She spent the next month in several hospitals recovering. Guests came to visit. But he got me this bear, and here it still is, the bear, and... Well, it's very special to me. Get said he was always keeping tabs on where she was in her schooling. But two years ago, Josie found him on her own, wanting to know the story behind this photo. I didn't know what happened at all. They've kept in touch ever since. And when she was getting ready for graduation, she knew Getz had to be there, a part of her story who helped get her to this day. He saved my life. So, amazing story. Yeah, for sure. And Very feel good, for sure. Right, and it's, you know, guys like this or women like this who, um, you know, enter the lives of young people and stick with them and ensure that they're doing well. And obviously, he cares a lot about her, and this was a really meaningful experience for both of them. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, it's, it's for sure a tragedy. She lost her cousin. Other people died in the fire. But the fact that they're, they're now connected for life that's a special, special bond. So we always try our best to leave you guys with good news, and we hope that suffices. We love you. We appreciate you. We're going to leave you there. If you are on the fence and thinking about how you could support the show other than listening to us twice a week, which we appreciate so much, you can go to dollamore.com and on the left-hand side of the page, there is a bevy of links, one of which is support the show. There you can find PayPal, Patreon, Amazon. I'm trying to think of some others to add to to kind of open up the options. But every little bit goes a long way, and we appreciate the support very, very, very much. So until next time, everybody, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore. This has been I Doubt It. But I was determined to put down pounds of meat. <laughs> <laughs>